What's going on, everyone? Joe here. In this episode, I got the opportunity to sit down with two of my great friends, Terry Brazel and Chris Poe, resiliency experts and senior trainers with the TechWorks Resilience Training Team. During our chat, we discussed the importance of resilience and how we can achieve the most productive outcomes in our lives. Enjoy. Live. Learning. Leadership. The Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. I'm Joe Bogdan, and boy, am I excited to have the guests we have in the lounge today, two of my brothers, Terry Brazel and Chris Poe. What's up, fellas? What's up, Joe? How's it going? Uh, it's going well, man. Going well. I'm in quarantine right now. Um, day, I think, nine now, I think. <laughs> so I'm like day eight, actually. I think I'm in day eight right now, and um, things are going pretty well. I'm able to get a lot of things done. Um, uh, the interesting thing is not being able to have any drinks whatsoever while I'm in here. I feel like I'm getting shredded in here, man. <laughs> so there are right. some positive things. <laughs> so so how are you guys doing? What's going on in your neck of the woods? Chris, so you just went on an adventure to get back to the States, right? Completely. So I'll try and trim this right on up. So back in March, um, I was headed over to Greece to do some work with uh, General Cornum and Dr. Antonishak on resilience with the Greek military. COVID struck. Um, we weren't able to make that trip. My wife and I, my wife is from London, we ended up going on over to England um, to do some work and some play. We've got some family over there and couldn't get a flight back to the States. Um, the, all the flights canceled. So we ended up pretty much at an Airbnb in Northern England for about a hundred days. <laughs> it wow. hit two major newspapers over there. <laughs> and then when the flights did start opening up, this is the greatest part of it, Joe. When the flights did start opening up, the only way for me to get back to Boston, which is where I hail from, um, was via Mexico from London Heathrow. So my wife happened to notice that the Dominican Republic and Punta Cana was opening up on July 1st. So mm. we went ahead and isolated ourselves in a beautiful resort on the beach, which had about 50 people out of a potential 1,500 people that could have been there in Punta Cana in the Dominican. And we just arrived home uh, about what, four or five days ago. Wow. Only you, Chris. Only you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it happens, right? So, uh, you know, you always, you always got to, you know, work with the problems and the challenges that you know, come to you and deal with them as they come. You know, man, that, Ter Terry, you know what I got from that story is that if it wasn't for Mrs. Poe, he would have went to Mexico, went through Detroit <laughs> and all the way back home. <laughs> this is true. Terry knows Christina very well. That's exactly true. <laughs> so how are you doing, Terry? We're good. We're, I, my life has not been nearly as exciting. Uh, but it's been it's been good during this whole time frame. We had an opportunity to have um, both of my sons come back into town. That's awesome. I had one who just got out of the army up at Fort Campbell, and he actually, as he transitioned out, he and his wife spent nine weeks with, with us here, and he is now out in California, um, and getting ready to go to, back to school. He's going to go to grad school out there, and yeah. uh, our youngest, who works in Tempe, Arizona, but like everybody else, he's worked from home so he realized he could work just as effectively either here or at his girl's pl girlfriend's place so he's been 
living there. And it's funny, he'll come over here to work some days because he can't get a quiet space over there because mm. she's got a roommate and between three of them working there, it's easier to come over and work here. So, <laughs> so it's, it's been good. It was, it was a great visit with both of them. So that's we, awesome. We can't complain. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely making the best out of it. And for our listeners, um, if you haven't been already able to tell or you don't know uh, Terry and Chris, they are like the triple OGs in the resilience game. They are senior trainers with the TechWorks Resilience Training Team. Two amazing human beings I am honored to call family. And man, I've really missed you guys. And we've oh, missed you, too, Joe. Joe. Yeah, you, <laughs> you've, you made a mark the first day we met you and we've watched you climb ever since. That's awesome. It's been cool. Uh, Oh man, that, that means a lot. I think the last time we all were together was probably in Germany, right? It was Spengalen. We got together for dinner, I think. Yeah, I think so. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, because before that we were, we saw each other in Korea. So we we've been we need to go visit Africa. <laughs> we need to go hit a couple more continents together. And I think we covered them all. <laughs> Let us know. Yeah. And I think before that it was New Jersey. So yeah. I think it's yeah. getting better as it goes along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. It, it remind me. That's where I'm at right now. I'm actually I see pudgies from my window, but I can't go there right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's too bad. Yeah, but, uh, well, that's great for this show. So Joe has come full circle since we first <laughs> met him, right? Yeah, right. absolutely. This is where we first met. I think it was either here or, you know what? I think I at least met probably, ter it might have been both of you. I think I at least saw you guys over at UPenn when I was there back in uh, 2000. But I was just a student going through the class with like 180 soldiers and like 10 airmen were in there. So. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's Scott right. Hellinger and those guys were there. So, but uh, yeah, absolutely, man. It's been a great ride. Um, really grateful that we've been able to stay connected after all this time but you know so whenever we have guests in the lounge we like for them to share their stories as we find that we often learn a lot from the experiences of others so let's start with terry how did terry brazel become the man we know today oh that's a good question <laughs> um, so upbringing um born and raised in new york uh, actually in the bronx little irish alcove up in the north northern bronx and, and um my, my mom actually, and a number of my family still live there. Mm. Um, but virtually everybody is still in the area up there, which is very cool for us because we get to go back there. And then Chris and I get to pick on each other because, mm. you know, he wishes he was from New York. But <laughs> we can't all I'm from Boston, Joe. Don't buy it. <laughs> um, so, so we've been out of New York, though, for about 35 years. Um, my wife and I had an opportunity to, to move to down to Maryland and over the years we've been to Maryland, up to Delaware, back to Maryland. And we have now been in Georgia for 20, it'll be 25 years actually this week. We closed on our house 25 years ago. Wow. Um, and it's been great. We live just outside of Atlanta, we're in Marietta. And um, yeah, I started out um, when I was in high school actually, started out in the high school seminary. I had plans at that point to continue the seminary path and about halfway through the college I thought, I don't think this is the, the calling for me. Transferred and uh, got my undergrad degree in psychology, my grad degree is in social work. And my plan always was at that point then to become a clinician, which I did do. Mm. But I also found out in my first job, I specialized in employee assistance programs. My first job was working for the Army, first job out of grad school, working for the Army in their uh, employee assistance programming and I learned that I could be a lot more effective in impacting an organization by helping leaders to be better leaders, yeah. uh, teaching them how to do it. Because uh, as we both, all of us know, that there's just not enough 
training out there for folks uh, to be able to figure that out and be proficient in their job. We had a lot of very, very technical folks in the organization at that point, and um, they were smart. They were really smart, um, but sometimes leading people wasn't their forte. So that's where I started to, to do training, and I have done way more training at this point than um, ever did clinical work. Mm. I got into resilience training uh, just about 10 years ago uh, up at Penn, where, uh, where you said, as you mentioned, you came through. And um, that was just a great opportunity. My, my sister had gone through the training and she said, you might want to take a look at this. So I had the opportunity to go up there and spent just about a year and a half, almost two years training there. And then got the invitation to come over to uh, set up the Air Forces program, yeah. which was just too good of an opportunity to turn down. So moved over to Air Force. We did that for a couple of years, and then that's where I met Chris and the, most of the crew that I work with today. It's taken me literally around the world. We went down to Australia to help create a program down there for the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute. Hmm. We've been to Air Force bases and Army bases around the world. And most recently, we had a chance to begin doing work and help create the resilience program for the Customs and Border Protection, which has hmm. been an awesome group to work with as well. Um, largest police organization in the country, which I didn't realize that until we started working with them. And uh, it's been, again, it's been another awesome group and yeah. really enjoy and love the type of work that I get to do. Huh? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think, um, I think I just learned something new too. I mean, it makes sense, but that, that didn't, that fact didn't occur to me either, but the largest uh, policing group, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they're all over the place, literally yeah. all over the place. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing the story. Uh, Chris, how about you, brother? Wow, Joe, I, well, first of all, I'm not near as smart as Terry is. Uh, so <laughs> I started off in, I started off uh, in, well, I was born actually in Ohio, but I started off uh, my conscious living life in Boston, Massachusetts with my parents. Um, and I joined the Army um, at a very young age. So I was... Uh, 16 and a half when I signed up with the delayed entry program and then I joined the army at 17 years old and I've had a lot of time and this has been 30 years. I literally just retired from the army um, mm -hmm. as a first sergeant here in Massachusetts uh, uh, last November, but I've had a lot of time to reflect on the reasons why, you know, somebody does something like that and, and has a lifetime of service. And um, I think when I was young, um, we had a lot of um, Vietnam vets um, that had come back right? So we're talking about the, the mid 70s and the 80s where I was growing up. And of course, all the popular media at the time was all about um, changing our perspective on how we treated those veterans when they first came back, um, you know, in 69 and 70 and 71. So we had all those television shows, if you remember back, like Platoon and Apocalypse Now and um, China Beach. And so I saw a lot of that growing up. And I just grew a fondness for military service um, by seeing a lot of that. My grandfather on my dad's side was a Navy um, veteran during World War II, and my mother's family were immigrants to America. So my mother was actually born, born in um, Beirut, Lebanon. Um, they're an Armenian family that literally, it's the, it's the traditional immigrant story. In 1955, they came to America, settled in Massachusetts, not knowing the language um, or anything. So I grew up in Boston, joined the army, and that is really a core piece of who I am. So many years, as you well know, in service really makes you a lot of who you are. Mm -hmm. So 
I was married. Um, I had a practice marriage before my current marriage uh, mm. with my, my, my wife. I had three children from my first marriage. And um, it was about 2000 and let's see, about 2008, I was a drill instructor um, at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And my company commander told me, well, Vaughn told me that I was going to a training at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, to learn some new psychology. He didn't know much about it. He didn't know what it was or the reasons why, but he said, uh, you know, you're pretty much one of my most vocal and social drill instructors and you don't shut up. So I'm going to send you up there <laughs> to maybe learn something new about yourself. I haven't looked back. I mean, in uniform, going to the resilience training at the University of Pennsylvania and some of the trials and tribulations that I had gone through in my in my life, in my personal life, and my military life, um, really caused me to pause and look at what they were teaching me and ways that I could have done things better along the way with my relationships in my life. And like I said, I had a practice marriage and mm -hmm. things that I could have done better along the way there. And it really gave me a lot to think about. So I really owned um, what they taught me there. That's the first place that I saw Terry. Of course, we didn't meet again until later on mm -hmm. um, it, when we worked together to start up the U.S. Air Forces program. And uh, since then, it's just been an amazing ride talking and teaching and meeting people that are focused on, you know, um, making tomorrow better than today and the yeah. skills that go with it. So um, today, I still live in Massachusetts. My wife and I are empty nesters. I have a granddaughter. Our children between us, I've got three, and my wife, my stepdaughter has one, and they're all between 22 to 28. They're all doing wonderfully. I've got my oldest works at Georgetown University in Alzheimer's research. Hmm. Her husband, Kevin, is uh, the customer service manager at Reagan International Airport. So if you're ever going through Reagan and you see yeah. something wrong in the bathrooms, give me a call. I can get <laughs> I can get it fixed. My middle daughter is getting married next year to um, the love of her life. He's an ornithologist. He's finishing his master's in studying birds, and she's an archaeologist by trade. So she's huh. finishing her master's at University of Massachusetts in, or in archaeology. Um, my stepdaughter is finishing her fourth year at university in Plymouth, England, um, where she is studying language and international business. And my son, he joined the army and the reserves for a small stint. I told him he didn't have to, if he didn't want to, it was okay, but he decided to do that. He became an interior electrician with the army, um, but decided that chasing a very beautiful and very intelligent young lady down to Louisiana was going to be his priority. And that's exactly what he did. So he moved down mm -hmm. to Louisiana, but they're all doing fantastic. Yeah. So like Terry, I mean, we've been traveling around for the last several years, um, working with a whole range of different clients mm -hmm. um, and helping them um, become more emotionally strong and yeah. uh, more resilient as, and now, with what's going on with COVID, we really see what's yeah. going on out there and how much it can really help people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, going back to that UPenn training, I, I tell people all the time that that was absolutely life-changing for me. I mean, it, it really did uh, give me a lot of different perspectives on understanding things. And, you know, those resiliency skills, they are so beneficial and to build them beforehand before something like COVID hits is so vital. Right. So, so you guys are, uh, 
delivering your material very different now, right? Because of what's going on. Can uh, can you guys share a little bit about what the, some of the challenges and how you've been able to overcome some of those? Oh yeah. Well, we started. We never planned on it, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, but we had a great opportunity. Um, we were scheduled to teach a couple of classes with Customs and Border Protection, and within a week of the first one starting, that got canceled or postponed because of COVID and everything got shut down. Mm -hmm. So we were waiting to figure out what was going to happen. And I think we, like everybody else at that point, expected, well, this is going to pass and we'll travel out and see them when that's ready. Um, and obviously that hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. So uh, they called us and they actually challenged us. I don't know if they thought of it that way, but they definitely challenged us and said, what do you think about doing this remotely? So we thought about it and we thought, well, let's, let's see what happens. And, um, you know, we got to play around with it and we ran three classes with them and each one got better than the one or than the two before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we learned that it can be done. Right. It still may not be the primary, you know, the optimal place to do it or a way to do it because so much of what we teach really requires a lot of interaction with the students. Mm -hmm. um, sitting down with them at their table and, you know, checking out, you know, the examples that we're using to make sure that they were examples that worked and they were doing the activities correctly. But we figured that one out too. So it's been very eye-opening for us. But the probably the, the best thing for us too is that it really shows that there are other ways we can do this. Uh, we don't have to be. I think every one of us would still prefer to be in a classroom we get to interact with the students a lot more effectively and a lot more, but yeah, we, we've been able to take what we would do in a week in the classroom. We spread it out over two weeks. Hmm. Uh, we went from doing it five days. We do now do it in six because we needed to be able to introduce more, more breaks throughout the course of the day, but also throughout the course of the week. Yeah. I remember the first time we taught it, I came walking into the, uh, the kitchen after the first day of class and my wife took one look at me she said you have never looked that exhausted after <laughs> day of work um in your entire life and i said yeah i, I can feel every bit of it but again it was it's been very eye-opening and you know being able to have conversations like this i'm in georgia chris is in massachusetts you're in new jersey mm -hmm. uh, thankfully we're all in the same time zone but you know the first class we talked to them we did it in on the west coast then we did one in the, you know, the central time zone the third class we did was eastern time zone but we had people from all over the place yeah uh, so i think the greatest learning we had was that this can be done in any number of different ways yeah i mean it, it really is about mindset i think i've um i actually feel like i'm more connected to a lot of people after covid because of you know stretching ourselves getting on things like this i, I mean you know there's nothing that kind of substitutes being you know, in touch with somebody, seeing them face to face and being within close proximity. But I know this is just me. My personal experience was I was doing a lot of texting. I was texting people, you know, shooting back and forth messages. And now I find that because, you know, I, I want to connect with people more because of the circumstance we're in, I actually pick up the phone and call them. And I'm probably, they're probably like, why are you calling me right now? And I was like, well, I want to hear your voice. I was like, I, you know what I mean? It's like, right. so it's kind of, uh, kind of made me change my perspective on things and how I execute. So I'm picking up the phone a lot more, setting up zoom calls a lot more as a primary versus just shooting over a message, you know? And, and, um, I, I just, I think I feel oddly, I feel more connected to people now than I did even before. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very weird. <laughs> there is, there is nothing good about COVID, right? But if we do have to make a case for right. 
connecting like you just did. Mm -hmm. I've been telling my son for a very long time, look, when I was young, if I wanted to ask a girl out on a date, Mm -hmm. I actually had to go talk to her. Right. right. Or I actually had it had to be live and on the phone. And then, mm-hmm. of course, as texting and things came around, it let some people off the hook. Right. Mm-hmm. That actually builds resilience. So I'm actually glad we're having to come back to things like this where, hey, we're we're live. We're real and we're in person. You've got to engage. Right. Mm-hmm. If you spend all your life texting and, you know, if you texted that girl and she said no over a text and you just deleted her off your phone. Right. You're not building that resilience up for the next time that you go to to, to do something like that, right? Yeah. So um, I think it's great that we're we're connecting in this way. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And that's a great analogy too. <laughs> I, I do definitely think that we're missing out some of those. Some of those uh, falling on our face in those, uh, those interactions. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and you, you know, when it comes to the training, you know, Terry Terry brings up a lot of good points because we didn't know how that was going to work, right? Mm-hmm. When they were starting to work with CBP over over this technology. And as you know, Joe, we don't just teach; we also require the students to teach right. back mm-hmm. in the train the trainer programs. Um, and that's really important. Um, and so they actually demonstrated a lot of resilience mm-hmm. for their very first time for some of them actually teaching and having to do that with their face on a camera in front right. of a lot of people. And I think that was actually a, a, a new benefit to doing this sort of training, especially mm-hmm. in the trainer trainer programs, because it really pushed their boundaries a little bit. And they had to exercise those practical skills that we teach in order to do it. So that, um, that was an extra benefit or an added benefit. Yeah, you know, and I'm going to try to make this analogy. Hopefully it sticks. And I think Chris, you'd probably appreciate it. Like I was, I was firing because, you know, I'm heading down range at some point um, this year and I was firing for qualification. And, um, and in the Air Force, we, start, we started switching over to um, the, the red dot versus, you know, iron sights going back and forth, right? We switched back and forth. And, and you know, it's funny because I, I just noticed that I was like, okay, we're transitioning. And, um, and a lot of folks though, that have grown up in the environment where we used a red dot before, you know, we had the red dot and we were only using iron sights. They're having a hard time with just the iron sight piece, right? Mm-hmm. But they were able to qualify off of just a red dot because it's, it's a little bit easier, right? You're able to see what's going on. But then when I go to fire M9, a nine millimeter qualification, all you got is the iron sights, right? You just got the sights, right? So then, and then you, I see people left and right, and I've never even qualified with M9 before, but I just knew the, you know, this is the, these are the fundamentals of how to fire, right? So I've never right. fired with that weapon before. I fired a weapon before, but I've never uh, qualified with it before. So it was a little bit different. And I started thinking, I was like, what are we missing here? You know, that people are losing those fundamentals. Hopefully their batteries don't die down the road, right? And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, when you talked about that whole qualifying, you know, with the teach facts through this environment, man, people think they're afraid to speak in large groups, but trying to do it into a machine like that you shoot <laughs> your voice into and you get limited feedback coming back, that has got to be one of the most daunting experiences that people don't even realize. Right. And that, and oh, that's yeah. what that's so it takes practice to build resilience in anything that we do. Right. So when you're talking and what you were just talking about, there was that neuroplasticity, what you're mm-hmm. used to. And now I have to change from that and not beating yourself up too much about I may not be the best at it when I first start doing something new. Right. But recognizing that and recognizing that the second time can be better than the first if you're willing to if you're willing to have that growth mindset. And they really did demonstrate that, didn't they, Terry? Oh yeah. They it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they I really think stepped so. up. 
yeah, not being afraid to just fall on your face completely because because <laughs> it's going to be it's probably going to be rough anytime you first record yourself or jump into it, just like the experiences you guys had, you know, trying to get into something a little bit new. Uh, but being willing to put yourself out there, uh, take things, take the spears <laughs> and learn from it. And, and that, that's just huge. That's part of the adaptability piece. Right. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. We talk about that, that growth mindset all the time mm-hmm. and being able to really tap into it and trust the process yeah yeah simple stuff well it doesn't it seems simple now but just being able to change your slides as mm-hmm. you're teaching a class online right um you know we we could have stepped in and changed them for them mm-hmm. um so they didn't have to worry about that but they were going to have to go out and use the same if not just similar tech uh, technology when they were teaching their own classes now right um so helping them get comfortable with just jumping in and trying it. If it doesn't right. work, it doesn't work. We're not going to penalize you for it, but give it a shot. Right. And like you said, every one of them stepped up and was able to do it, which has been, you know, I think real, you know, re- real rewarding for us as well as them. Right. And we're looking forward to the day that we can get back. I, you know, I will say this is the, the second best way to do this. Obviously, mm-hmm. being in person, you know, when we can tackle yeah. this COVID thing and getting back to those classrooms, that's super, super important. So you can right. imagine the stages of training, right? If you're just watching a recorded video with no interaction at all, mm-hmm. you know, that's training. Okay. If you're able to do live training, which is what um, you know, Terry and the team and, um, and, and we were able to do with, with CBP, that's like the second best way. But being in that classroom and really connecting yeah. with people, that environment alone helps build. Um, that, that's the best way to go about it. Right. Yeah. And I think um, your point, you know, there's nothing good about COVID, but if you can come back and think, okay, we added some more tools to our toolbox, but also... I know for me, and I, I know plenty of other people, right? And, and hopefully most people are appreciating that, what you just said, you know, just get that, that interaction that we might be missing right now. I mean, that, that's right. absolutely important too. Man, so speaking of this, we've been all kind of like um, dancing around the topic, but the topic of resilience, it is extremely important right now in a time of crisis, right? I mean, we're dealing with multiple things happening at one time. And, um, and I was just thinking, I was hoping that you guys would share what your perspectives on how important resiliency skills are at this time. And um, I was saying, I'll go ahead and start with Chris. What, what are your thoughts on the importance of being able to develop these skills beforehand and also even during, like, you know, dealing with the stuff as we go, um, how important that is for to be able to effectively deal with this crisis? Joe, you're so intuitive, right? So the first thing is it it obviously would have been so much better if we could get more people to practice and understand that you can become more resilient before a crisis like this happens, right? Mm-hmm. And this isn't the only crisis. And I know your listeners and people right. out there, there are probably a thousand other crises that are going on all over the place. Everything from medical diagnosis to we have to move, economic challenges that people are going through, parents going through, or my kids going back to school. And not, there's just so right. much out there. So it really hits home that you need to find whatever your whatever knowledge you need to gain about resilience and and how to best learn how to cope and deal with challenge because we all know no matter who you are that life is going to throw you challenges in the future so start today if you haven't started already right and that's about learning practical skills by the way so this isn't just about go find yourself an inspirational video out there and let it make you feel good for a day and a half and share it a couple of times on facebook this is about really learning 
when you see somebody who is resilient in the world, when you think of a Nelson Mandela or you think of a, a JFK or a, who, whoever your idols are, what made them so resilient to get through the challenges that they got through? and learn how to do that for yourself. It doesn't have to be grand, right? It can be the little things in your life, the little things, getting through each day, making good decisions, making good choices. Mm -hmm. so, so I would really like everybody to have that before a crisis happens. But what that does also mean is that you can start today as well, right? You can say, okay, let me, let me reflect on what I'm feeling right now in the moment if I'm sad or angry or um, upset or depressed or if there's or if I feel anxiety, mm -hmm. if any of those emotions are sort of overriding your ability to cope, what are some things you can learn to do to regulate those emotions so you can make the best choices to get the most productive outcome? We use that language very um, deliberately. Mm -hmm. I want the most productive outcome. It doesn't mean that life all of a sudden is going to be rainbows and lucky charms and unicorns, mm -hmm. but what's the most productive thing I can do in the moment? And this is the last bit, and I'll turn it over to Terry. You know, Think about just an argument with somebody who's close to you, a friend, a colleague, a loved one. If you think the most productive outcome is both of you raising your voice to a level that you can't even communicate anymore mm -hmm. in that moment, is that what you were looking for in the beginning? Right. Probably not. That's mm -hmm. about regulating, right? Mm -hmm. What is it that I want out of this? I want this person to still recognize that I respect them. Mm -hmm. I want them to, them to recognize that I, I value their opinion and I believe that they value mine. So let me lower this intensity for a few minutes so that I can deal with this problem now and in the moment to get the most productive outcome. So there are things we can do right now to deal with COVID mm -hmm. and the challenges that come from that, taking each challenge one at a time, regulating, thinking clearly, and then coping and dealing as best we can. You're not going to be successful every single time, but the more you practice just regulating yourself to get the most out of the situation, the more you're going to be able to do that in the future. And there's, there's ways to do that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Man, appreciate it. And, and Terry, what are your, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, I want to reinforce something that Chris said earlier, and it relates back to your story. You really need to get a handle on what these skills are all about before it's time to use them. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you went down range and they handed you that nine mil, and said, all right, listen, go take, take the guard post out there and defend mm -hmm. yourself. But you'd never seen it before. You'd mm -hmm. never touched one before. And, and now you're supposed to use one for real. It's like, uh-oh, now what am I supposed to do? We talk about that all the time in class. You know, we, we encourage them during class to practice using the skills um, this week and next week while you're with us. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk to you about that. We want examples of it. Um, we would encourage them when they would do their activities to think of, smaller everyday adversities so that you build that skill and you get some experience under your belt with the day-to-day -day stuff because mm -hmm. that's going to continue to happen the big adversities thankfully you know for most of us are not going to happen every day right um, so if you can get comfortable with them in that environment then when stuff really does happen you've got that that experience under your belt um yeah we 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 talk about, as trainers, we talk about the fact that we are 
that we receive the greatest benefit from these skills ourselves and, and our students do as well as trainers because it's a constant reminder of what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. We've got a good, a good friend of ours on the team that um, was going through some, some tough times, some tough things within his family back in the beginning of the COVID environment. And um, he and I were talking about it and he said, you know, one thing that struck me, Terry, is that I, I used every one of the skills that we teach over the last couple of weeks. Every one of them. Um, you know, so t- sometimes it's a matter of being able to take a step back and having a sense of perspective on what just happened. Um, somebody react in a certain way because they're ticked off at me or they react in a certain way because they've been locked in their house for the last 60 days and haven't seen another human being and, and didn't know what else to do. Um, you know, can I, what can I do to, to physically burn off this excess energy that I'm now building up because normally I would be out there um, going to the gym, but I can't. So what can I do physically to keep my, not only my body, but my, my mind in a place where it needs to be because that mind body connection is so, so important. Um, you know, the, just, we were talking about earlier, just the social interactions. Um, people have been really struggling because they haven't had the, the level of social interaction that we're used to. Um, and to be able to, to be able to figure out new ways to do that. So is it through Zoom or WebEx or whatever platform they're using to be able to not just talk to somebody, but be able to, to see them as well and get to see those facial expressions. So yeah, we, it's been incredibly rewarding to see that we've been able to, to use them. Um, we've been able to continue to teach them and recognizing the, the incredible value that yeah. these particular skills really bring to us and to, you know, the people that we teach through this really difficult time. I mean, this is one of those times when you would say, yeah, I should have figured it out before COVID. <laughs> well, right. in some cases we didn't, but right. we have a chance to figure it out now. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, I, can I give you, oh, sorry, go ahead, yeah. Joe. No, go ahead, please. Chris. I would love to give you one quick demonstration of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's okay. Yeah. So, so, and this is just a very simple one. So we, t- we talk about gratitude as a practical skill, and I'm sure you're, you know about gratitude, and I'm mm-hmm. sure many of your listeners, especially in the Air Force, mm-hmm. if they've um, bumped into MRTL on the way, they understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine if before COVID had happened, you would put a practice in your life where you deliberately, on a regular basis, were looking for good things in your life. Um, because we're naturally attracted to what's wrong. So if you just spent your days looking at the news, especially when COVID hit, here's all the numbers, here's where the places are hot, here's where um, people are um, not doing well, hospitals are overwhelmed, travel, Mm -hmm. all of that negativity. But if you would put a practice in your life where you looked for the little things on a regular basis in your life that were good, despite the fact that there are these other challenges, Mm -hmm. when COVID hit, your brain would be more practiced even in the challenge, even in the midst of the chaos and the crisis to still see the little things that are good in your life. And that helps provide you balance, which makes you more resilient because the whole world isn't on fire. And when we talk about the little things, you know what, maybe yesterday was terrible. Maybe um, something happened at work that really didn't go the way you wanted it to, or uh, maybe you were laid off from that job or any other thing Today, you know what? I got up this morning. I had a good cup of coffee. I got to watch the sun come up. And that's been the best part of my last two days. 
recognizing that as real. That is a real thing to be grateful for. That immediately can start balancing your brain to know that there are still good things out there despite the challenges. So if you weren't practicing it before COVID, there's something you can do today to put into a regular practice to help give yourself some balance. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And to build off of what you're saying and what Terry brought up also is that there are opportunities every day to showcase resilience. There are opportunities to show gratitude. There are opportunities. We just got to find them, right? You got to deliberately seek them out versus just kind of participating in life and just floating through the day. Right. I mean, that's a huge part of it. And, and what you guys do is just amazing. I really appreciate what you're doing to deliver the message to all of our teammates out there. I call it OTF in class, Joe. Out there, out there flapping. (laughs) If you you imagine a fish out of water flipping around and letting life grab you by the tail and just toss you left and toss you right, Right. Right. you're absolutely right. If you're deliberate Mm -hmm. about looking for the opportunities to be more resilient, you can change the paths and get through the challenges more readily. Not that the challenges will disappear but you can actually get through them a little bit stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll use my own personal example. When I was coming into this quarantine, um, there was a lot of thoughts I could have had. I could have been like, okay, this is two weeks before I go down range. I could have spent with family. I could have, you know, I could have went through and I'm not going to lie. Some of those thoughts did start floating into my head. Right. But I started counteracting that with what I can use. How, how can I see this as an opportunity? Right. So even beforehand, I started preparing. I started getting myself some books that I was going to read while I'm in this quarantine. I started uh, buying some fitness stuff that I could easily translate travel with some, um, you know, fitness bands and all that stuff. And I came up with a list of goals to keep me on track while I'm in here to see this as an opportunity versus just a butt pain that I have to endure for two weeks before I go to training, you know, and all that. And, um, and I'm not gonna, and I know that you all, all three of us could say that none of us are infallible when it comes to resilience skills. We can, we have our down days, right. But, but right. the fact is that we can bounce back and the more you practice and you make it a habit, the, the quicker you bounce back from some of those kind of productive thoughts. And, and that's the big point point is um, I don't think for our listeners none of these skills are going to make you superhuman you know what I mean but but they will help you rebound uh, and, and get to that productive state quicker the, the more you make them a habit so um, the, the one thing I wanted to kind of get into before we get into some more skills is um, and I'll start off with Terry what are some what you would consider the main like foundational principles of resilience if you had to break it down and before we get into skills like what are some main themes that you would say when it comes to resiliency training skills? I think that possibly one of the most important ones for me is mm. to, to recognize the importance of relationships. Mm. You know, there's this image that, you know, people who are really resilient, that they just suck it up and muscle through. And mm. sometimes, yeah, sometimes that's what's, that's what's called for. But that's not the way that it typically works. And right. or should it work that way but to recognize that relationships and other people are important and you know that's i think that much of what we teach ultimately comes back to reinforcing those relationships you know am i working am i doing something that's in some way going to enhance those relationships or that is going to potentially damage them um, and i think that by being aware of how I can use those skills, it, it forces me at times to pause and catch myself and say, whoa, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> am I going down the right path? 
or, or in too many cases, did I just go down the wrong path? <laughs> and what can I do to, you know, get off this path and turn around and, and go back and fix what I might have done? So I think that for me, one of the most important things that we do in, in resilience and being resilient um, is to see the importance of relationships, work relationships, personal relationships, um, relationships truly with the world around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and am I doing things every day that help me to enhance those? That's awesome. Chris, what would you add on to that? Those like under those overarching themes that if, when it comes to resilience. So the, the first one that I think of is acceptance of a number mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. Acceptance that a you're, you are already resilient, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be listening to this, mm-hmm. this podcast. You wouldn't be here if you haven't come through challenges in your own life. Mm-hmm. So give yourself some credit for already being resilient and also accept that there are probably places in your life where you are more resilient than others. And to be able to recognize those, that was the first big revelation for me when I first got into doing this um, and being a part of this training was that um, I saw myself as a very, very capable infantry soldier. um, And the more I looked back on my life and applied the skills that I could have used, I said, well, yeah, I was a pretty resilient soldier. But as Terry was just alluding to, the relationships in my life weren't as strong as I needed them to be. In fact, a lot of times when I was going through challenges in my life, I felt like I was on a pedestal and I couldn't Mm -hmm. reach out to other people for help. And I didn't want that. And part of the reason is because I hadn't built the relationships in my life the way I wanted them to, even Mm -hmm. with my own children. Right. So I was sort of drill sergeant dad. Um, And then when I had a relationship breakup with their mother, I had to become a whole new person. And that took a lot of me, you know, learning myself all over again and getting to know my children in a totally different way. So there was an area that I could have been more resilient before that challenge came into my life. So accept that you're already resilient. Accept that there are places in your life where you could learn to be more resilient based in the science and psychology and and what they, um, what the academics really study on what makes somebody a resilient human being with high levels of well-being. And then I think lastly, um, accept a growth mindset, Mm -hmm. right? This isn't about who your parents were or your grandparents or the the world you grew up in um, or wish you hadn't grown up in or any of those things, but accept that in order to get the full benefit of, of holistic um, wellness and well-being and resilience is to go into it with an open mind and accept things that you might learn new along the way that you didn't think of before. So for me, it's about acceptance in a lot of different areas that you can learn to be more resilient in one or more domains of your life. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean those are great points, and 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 I think this is a good point where we can start transitioning to some some skills. And now we're not going to be able to go over all of them like in in a, in a one hour podcast, of course, because uh, these amazing gentlemen take weeks to teach some of these skills uh, and make sure that we can accept them. But um, I thought, you know, I'll start off with Chris. What are some skills you find that would be extremely helpful right now, moving forward into the unknown? Because that's what we're going into right now. I mean, typically it's unknown, but it's really uh, a different 
environment that we're living in right now. Um, what are some that you think that um, would be very beneficial? And maybe you can give a quick synopsis of what those skills are about. Sure. And, and without, without teaching them in full, what I can say mm-hmm. is um, I can reflect back on what we talked about earlier about regulation, mm-hmm. right? How do I regulate my emotional and physical reactions when I come across things that happen in my life that I really wish I didn't have to deal with? right? So that I can get the most productive outcome. So we do teach a couple skills. Um, One of them is called the event thought reaction connection. That's a foundational skill that leads you into another skill called balance your thinking, Mm -hmm. which is really based on um, having evidence to um, evidence that my thoughts are accurate before I jump to a conclusion about something and then react to it inappropriately. So the synopsis is this, and the science tells us that when events happen in our lives, it it doesn't just immediately cause the emotional and physical reaction that you have. Your brain processes information in a split second, Mm -hmm. and we have to become aware that the brain is only packed with the experiences that you personally have had from being little until where you are today. Mm-hmm. So when an event happens in your life, your brain digs in the file cabinet very quickly, and then you emotionally and physically react to that. Mm-hmm. Well, if you can become aware of what are the thoughts that I'm having, because that's the piece we miss. We, it seems like the event happens and we jump right to anger mm-hmm. and we jump right to, you know, putting our fist to the wall. But that's mm-hmm. not true. Your brain processes and you probably have a thought like, um, um, I've just been trespassed against. Somebody just insulted me. They think, um, they think that I'm not a, a valued member. Mm-hmm. Those are thoughts that cause those emotional physical reactions. And you might be reacting to that completely off the wall because your brain said, yep, this is the situation you're in. This is how to react to it. Right. So what I want you to do is be able to regulate those emotional and physical reactions, the things that you do by slowing down, and asking yourself, what am I thinking or what was I thinking that caused me to get angry? Mm-hmm. Really capture that, analyze that, and ask yourself, was that the best thought that I could have had mm-hmm. to make the outcome my most productive outcome? Does that right. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And like to think, is like, and it, is it even factual? Or am I putting filters on that were, you know, I, I like to describe it as, uh, ex-boss or ex-girlfriend ex-boyfriend syndrome like you're like you know you're like thinking about this happened to me before in my in a past relationship so it must be happening to me now with this new relationship well not really <laughs> you right. Know, that's, <laughs> right that's the file cabinet you have that's the right. data that was stored oh i've right. seen this before or right. i know exactly what they're thinking or right. i know exactly they think they know what i'm thinking none of that may even be accurate but right. yet we're going to trample on this relationship based on what's in our file cabinet. Right. And it may not be there. It may yeah. not be accurate. Yeah, absolutely. So capture I've been, the thought. Yeah. I've even had a uh, circumstance where I asked uh, a subordinate something and they, and they came back, they, they didn't lash out of course, but they, they came with a response that I just didn't expect. So I asked them then a follow-up question. I was like, what did you interpret from my question? You know what I mean? Like, did you think that I was, uh, 
that I was calling you a dummy or something. Like, I, I mean, like I was literally asking you out of curiosity. <laughs> you right. know, I wasn't, I wasn't testing you. And I'm thinking your previous boss must have been asking you stuff like that as like stump the chump or something, you know? <laughs> it's interesting. Right. Well, that's the sign of a good leader, Joe, because you know, you don't know what they were thinking, mm -hmm. right? And then we can put that on ourselves. When we react right. to something, if you're, mm -hmm. Well, let me, you know, if you're, if you're walking through the bar in a non-COVID situation when we can all get back to enjoying a safe drink with yeah. others mm -hmm. and you're walking through and somebody bumps into you and you spills your beer over, your brain goes into action and right. it goes, oh, when people bump into me like that, they're punking me. And you yeah, turn right. around and punch that person in the face. Yeah. You never slowed down to go, excuse me, did you do that on purpose? That's right. what these skills will do for you. Right. will actually get you to slow down and go, excuse me, did you do that on purpose? And they go, oh, my bad. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Can I buy you yeah. another beer? Yeah. That stops you in that moment from reacting in a way that might be unproductive. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome, Chris. Yeah. yeah. So, Ter Terry, what, what do you think? What are some uh, very important skills that could be um, extremely helpful moving forward into the, uh, what, what, what are we, the new abnormal? <laughs> you know, that we're going through. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are a couple. Of, so one of them, you know, we go back to the, the whole you know, relationship piece and recognizing that um, there are pretty simple ways that we can build um, and make the current relationships we have even stronger than they were before. And um, that is, how do you respond to people? How do you respond to people when they bring their good news to you? In this environment, it doesn't even feel like there is all that much good news. But realistically, there's a lot of great news. Mm -hmm. So when people share that with you. Do you yeah. just say, hey, yeah, good, and just kind of blow it off like it was nothing? Or do you actually help them kind of re-experience the, mm. the energy and the feeling they had when they, they learn that good thing themselves and then they share right. it with you? Um, you know, the, the research shows us that we, we do a great job of being there with people when uh, they have bad news. We've been yeah. raised to, to be there. That's an important thing to do. And it is, there's, there's no doubt about that. But the research shows us that it's more important to be there, um, or at least as important to be there when they're sharing the good news with you, because mm -hmm. that's what builds the relationships. The other one, it helps to sustain them, which is again, it's important, but it doesn't build them. This really helps to really help build that connection with the other person. And it's not hard. It's just a matter of asking a couple of questions. And it's, it's the kind of thing that not only do they benefit from it, but we benefit from it as well because we're now having a conversation that, that hopefully makes us both feel good about right. whatever it is that we're talking about. Um, and in this environment, you know, we, we need to look for those opportunities to have that conversation about something that, that was good. The other thing that we do is we, we talk about, and we, we teach a lesson on spiritual resilience. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's one of those things that you, you can see in some people's eyes when you start saying that, you know, we're going to start the spiritual resilience lesson. Mm -hmm. They sit there and they start getting a little antsy about it and say, oh, this is, we're not supposed to be talking about this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and that's, couldn't be further from the truth. Right. We, we talk about the fact that spirituality is about having a connection with something bigger than yourself. Um, and for some folks, that's, it's religion and it's all about religion. And, that's that's awesome but for a lot of other folks it's not all about religion um and 
it's really about knowing what is your connection to something bigger than you. Um, what's your why? Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Um, and actually, the, the lessons with the guys from Customs and Border Protection, they've really drilled down into that part uh, at a deeper level, really having people sit and start to craft their, their purpose statement. Yeah. You know, what, what is my purpose? What am I here for? Yeah, I, I've been teaching them about this you know, for years in that people, we need to see how we connect to right. something bigger. But if it's at work, you know, do, do you understand how doing your job impacts the organization as a whole? Right. And, you know, as just a supervisor, I should make sure that my people understand that. From the CEO right on down to the guy who comes in in the afternoon after you leave and empties those, those you know, waste baskets. Do they understand how having a good, clean, and comfortable training environment really enhances people coming in and, and taking a class? Mm -hmm. uh, they need to see how when I perform my job, when I do something, somebody, somebody else benefits from it. There's a connection between me and the success of the team, the success of the organization. So all of those are about that connection to something bigger than myself and knowing what I'm here for. And I think a lot of people have gotten very introspective during this time, which I think mm -hmm. is good. Some people might be a little too introspective and they need mm -hmm. to maybe get out of their own head for a little while. Yeah. But, you know, being able to help people reflect on, on those things, you know, what am I here for? How, how did I come to see the world the way that I do? We talk about a board of directors. Yeah. Um, you know, we all know a board of directors for a company. It's a group of consultants that have been invited by the CEO to help advise him or her on how they run the company. Um, well, we've all got our own. We all have yeah. our own board of directors that we don't realize that we can turn some of them off. Mm -hmm. We have complete say as to who gets the vote on how we do things, who doesn't. And we have the opportunity that if there's somebody from our past who is still nagging at us for doing something that we did back then and it impacts how we do it now, I have the opportunity to turn that off. Right. I don't have to listen to that anymore. And you know, just understanding that the way I, sh I see the world, it, it came to me through others. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, good, good experiences, bad experiences, but that's all, again, more things that have helped to contribute to creating the person that I am. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I mean, the purpose and meaning is so important, you know, understanding your board of directors, but what you started off with, with, you know, the, the act of constructive responding to people when they bring you good news. I think that's something that I know I sucked at for a long time. And it really made me, you know, when I started really reflecting on it, I thought, okay, do I want the people I love the most to prefer to share their good news with other people instead of me, because right. I don't know how to respond it to them, you know? And, and I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want, you know, I don't want my, for, you know, my, my best friends, or they feel more comfortable sharing with other people, even considered strangers because they respond better than I do. You know, I need to change my behavior, right? Cause I want them to share that goodness with me. Why are they sharing it with me? Because apparently, you know, they love me enough to want to share that goodness with me. And, um, and that was a, that was a huge, uh, turning point for me when it came to relationships. And I love, um, I love that skill. And I love the, the results that come from that, because I've seen it. it, it changes pretty quickly once you start doing it the right way. 
Yeah, it, it, Joe, can I add to that? So I, I, I felt traumatized that I mm -hmm. really messed my kids up growing mm -hmm. up because mm -hmm. I did not properly, mm -hmm. actively, constructively respond. Mm -hmm. So the example I love to give to our audiences, especially for the folks in your audience who mm -hmm. might have, you know, uh, four, five, six-year-old children, right? Mm -hmm. They make that macaroni picture. They bring it from school when mm -hmm. we get back to school, but they bring it back to you or they did something for you. And you very quickly go, oh, that's lovely. We're going to put it on the refrigerator so that everybody can see it. And you think that's enough, but that's yeah. not the way to actively, constructively respond. To ask them questions about why are the macaronis on this side of the picture? Why did you paint this green? Why is that blue? Mm -hmm. Let's them understand that you are you you really value what right. it is that they brought to you, and they're more likely to continue doing stuff in the future and be deliberate about the things that they do, mm -hmm. knowing that you're going to put the effort into it, and that's what builds that relationship. And they're more willing to bring you the good news. But the other thing is they're more willing to bring you the bad news too, because they feel a sense right. of trust and authenticity. Yeah. yeah. So important. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think us guys, we suck at it with each other too. It was like, you know, my cousin used to bring me news. I'm like, cool story, bro. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, that's, that's yeah. how, you know, I'm like, yeah. right. <laughs> we just move on, you know? And I'm like, you right. rock, man, you rock. Yeah. yeah. Good job. Good job. <laughs> right. But uh, there's so much more to it. So thank you guys for sharing that one. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so, Hey, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity. What are you guys doing now? Like Terry, I know you're doing work with CVP. What, what any other projects coming up? Any other big classes you got coming up? No, we've been continuing to look at where else we can we can bring the these lessons. Um, I know I'm waiting for a couple of opportunities here locally to be able to talk to folks. Very cool. Um, uh, actually, Chris has done a few things that have made me seriously rethink of how how to reach out to folks locally, um, mm. as well as you know on a order scale so right now that that's where i'm working i'm also getting a boatload of stuff done here in the house awesome. that doesn't pay the bills but it, it makes my wife happy so <laughs> oh that's more important than paying the bills right now <laughs> <laughs> without a doubt <laughs> yeah awesome how, how about you chris what do you got going on yeah joe so i have been fortunate um when it comes to uh, here's what i've learned and remember i'm coming to this from a uniformed soldier who's learned resilience but mm -hmm. Um, now that I'm retired and I did spend the last years in the reserves where I got to actually start reaching out into the community and talking to them about what we're doing inside the military, in the army and in the air force to be able to give people these skills, they want it so bad. And every right. time I get a chance to talk to people, they go, oh my God, we need this. Do you teach teenagers? You know, can mm -hmm. we bring this to organizations? So, so some of the, so um, I'm also the community development manager for TechWorks, which means I get to reach out and talk to organizations about um, delivering resilience and sort of building programs specific to their organizations. What would work best? Do you do shift work, that sort of stuff. So some of the most recent projects I've got that COVID did take a little bit of it, put a little bit of a damper on it, but much mm -hmm. like CBP, um, it just takes a little bit of time to work through some of the, the virtualities. How are we going to use the technology and then get them on board with that? CBP was prepared for it. Um, but 
uh, Massachusetts Department of Corrections is looking at doing a statewide resilience training for their officers. Um, they, you know, uh, first responders and law enforcement, um, you tend to see a real connection to the problems that go on inside the military, inside these sort of organizations. They're high stress, um, high pressure jobs, um, and you know, turnover can be great or psychological impact can be great. So working with uh, Massachusetts Department of Corrections, they have 13 prisons across the state. There's more wow. than 5,000 um, officers that are dealing with um, the inmate populations. And then they would also like to expand that to some of the inmate populations. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know where my heart is, right? So I'm also really looking at um, veterans treatment courts, you know, people that come out of the military. It's a, it's a challenge in itself that requires resilience to readapt to civilian life. And some people right. don't do it as well as others. Remember that some people are more resilient than others in certain mm -hmm. ways. And in just in my state alone, there's more than 400 um, incarcerated veterans across the state at any one time. Wow. That's about the level. So being able to work with the Veterans Treatment Courts is another project I'm working on. Um, I have a couple of police departments um, that, especially with what's going on right now across the country when it comes mm -hmm. to the, the, the political situation, mm -hmm. um, they have their own challenges. So um, they're working on grant funding to bring this training to their officers. Um, and lastly, I've been working with um, uh, an organization called the Recovery Centers of America, which really deals with substance abuse. Um, and they have multiple locations across the east, uh, northeast, uh, across New England. Um, and they've had us come in multiple times to do training, not just for their invitees, but um, also their staff. Um, and uh, yeah, U University of Massachusetts, Boston, um, they have a, um, a, a department of psychology that focuses on um, challenge adolescents. Mm -hmm. um, and I've done some um, live training with them. And I also got to do recently um, some training virtually with um, high school students. Uh, this was about um, three months ago, right mm -hmm. towards the end of the year, right before COVID really hit. Um, and they were just getting used to doing their final classes um, online. And so wow. I got to do some work with the uh, high school students. And that's an important population, getting right. into the education system to develop these skills so that um, young adults can grow into a world of resilience is, mm -hmm. is super, super important. So I've got irons in the fire all over the place. I'm looking forward to getting back to Greece. I can tell you that and, and working yeah. with the Greek military, but um, lots of stuff. And, and the need is just, it's very, very great. That is very cool. That is very cool, man. So, so I do have a question for you. The book, the book that you told me almost 10 <laughs> years ago <laughs> that you were going to write, that I told you I was going to buy once you completed right. it. I can right. see why you might not be able to have done it. <laughs> right. So, all the so stuff you got going on. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen in Joe's audience, this is what we call throwing somebody under the bus. Right. And very, um, very effectively. And it's also really connected to another skill that we teach called values based goals, where you share your goals with others so that they hold you accountable. It's just you don't expect them to hold you accountable in places like this. So, no, Joe, I have not finished my book on the American Revolution, which which is a historical fiction. Um, and my punishment is that I continue to pay for my blog site every month um, to say, hey, look, this is how I'm going to keep myself accountable and I'm going to get back to it. Um, 
I, my life has just taken some turns in different ways. And as you know, values and priorities can shift and you need to be aware of that. But it has not disappeared. And one of the other things about values-based goals is you can always get back on track. And I will do that, Joe. And you will be the first one to <laughs> get is, a copy of my book. That is awesome. But Joe, can I, can I invite your audience to also keep me accountable? So you can still go to Poe, Ed, like Edgar Allan Poe, novel.net, novel.net, and it is my ongoing blog on writing this book. And I promise I will, I will achieve that goal. That is awesome. Uh, we will be keeping you accountable. We'll hold you accountable okay. for that one. But uh, okay. one other thing that I wanted to share with the audience, uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, about your, your side business that you got kind of going on right now. It's nice of you to ask, and I really appreciate that. So um, as you know, retirees have to continue to find new ways to, um, to occupy themselves. So a couple years ago, my wife, who is from London, and I started a small business um, where we began our own um, uh, certified Veterans Administration um, uh, brand Um of flat caps. Now, um, I don't know if your audience is familiar, but these are the type of caps that you'll find uh, in the States, maybe on a golfer, um, mm -hmm. but um, they're, they're very, very prominent. Um, a lot of authenticity and heritage goes into British-made flat caps. Mm -hmm. um, and I encourage you to have a look on our website, but we started this business a couple years ago um, where we were importing these flat caps under our own brand. We have multiple suppliers in Northern England and now Ireland. Nice. Um, to offer the United States market just a little bit of style. Yeah. So um, the website is um, www.poe, uh, and company, ltd.com. If you're a Peaky Blinders fan or if grandpa used to wear a flat cap or if you just have a look around, there's a lot more people wearing flat caps today than probably about 10 years ago. So come on over and I will also offer your, um, your listeners, Joe, um, and I would assume that most of them are Air Force, um, but anybody that comes to the website the, as a small business, um, you know, I'm not making money hand over fist at all, but I can offer 15% off if you want to use the coupon code um, ARMY, A-R-M-Y, 1775. Um, when you check out, that'll get you 15% off anything that I have on the shop. Nice. We'll, we'll make sure we add all of that to the show notes. And um, for those, the listeners that can't see right now, we're going to snap a photo with this uh, amazing looking model. Uh, Terry is wearing one of the caps and it does look phenomenal. Uh, Chris, I need to, I need to get on one of your ads, man. I need to, I need to put the hat on. <laughs> Let's do that. Joe. So um, I, I need to, you need to have a look and you just tell me which yeah. one and I yeah. will send it to you, my friend, free nice. of charge. Oh man. I really appreciate that. That is awesome. That is amazing. Yeah. And, um, and, and we can love both build what you our, our international hat model businesses yeah. on the side, Joe. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Terry, yeah. Terry, Terry's one of my number one hat models too. Yeah, he yeah. Looks great I, in him. Well, I mean, he's beautiful in that hat, so it makes sense. It makes <laughs> absolute <you> sense. <laughs> When's so, the last time you've been called beautiful, Terry? I bet that doesn't happen been, that often. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> so you hey, see uh, what a flat cap can do. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, fellas. So, um, we're coming up over an hour now, and whenever we want to wrap these up, we do what we call a leadership rapid fire. So, I'm going to ask each of you the same question. I'll, I'll rotate back and forth and give us the however you want to interpret the question, and then you just answer it. Sound good? Sounds good. Sounds All good. right. All right. So, I'll start off with uh, Terry. What is your favorite leadership trait? My favorite leadership trait humility. 
Awesome. Humility. Being able to not see that the world revolves around you, but mm -hmm. rather it really revolves around your people and you know, your organization. Um, I think it makes you much more approachable. And I think that uh, people appreciate that as well. Perfect. All right, Chris, what is your favorite leadership trait? Um, I would say communication, um, how you communicate and, and uh, the way you go about it is super, super important. There are times to be direct, but there are also times to listen. So um, communication is very, very important for a good, strong leader. All right. This time I'm going to start off with you, Chris. What is your favorite quote? My favorite quote. Wow. Um, geez, so this is sort of a long one. It's a long quote, but the first one that comes to my mind that stuck with me for a very, very long time. And I think it does come from a place of patriotism and service, mm. but I think it has more meaning than that. Mm. Abraham Lincoln said, all the armies of Asia, Europe, and Africa combined could not by force take a walk um, or, or take a drink from the Ohio or take a walk on the Blue Ridge. So if despotism be our lot, it's going to come from within and will not come from abroad. Now that's very relevant to what's going on in the world today, but I think it also has to do with us personally. If you're gonna fall into a pit of despair, that's gonna come from within you and you can change that. Yeah. Right. You can do something different. And I think that's what he was asking people to do right before the Civil War um, was to remember that we're only going to fall if we're falling because we can't get along with each other. Wow. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. All right, Terry, you got to follow that one. What was your favorite quote? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, it won't be that long, um, <laughs> but uh, actually it's, it, it's a more recent reference rather than going back to uh, Abe Lincoln, but it actually comes from a Darius Rucker song. Hmm. And I'm sorry, I can't give you the name of the song right now, but the quote is, what can I do while I'm here to make someone's life better? Hmm. Um, and I think that that really epitomizes the, the way I've tried to um, approach, approach work, approach life, um, to, to try to be a, a good impact, a good influence on, on those around me. And you know, I've been really blessed to be able to have uh, a career that has allowed me to, um, to, to do that and to get to travel around the world with, with guys like Chris to be able to help impact, um, you know, classes of service members, civilians, um, police officers, um, law enforcement, to be able to help them to make their lives, but also the lives of those around them better. That's awesome. All right. Next question. Back to you, Chris. Uh, what is a book that you would recommend to an aspiring leader? So I, I'm going to go right to the core of resilience and where it started for me. And, and it's a book called The Resilience Factor by Dr. Karen Rivich from the University of Pennsylvania. I think it's clear. Um, and I really think it helps you understand what we've been talking about when it comes to the practicality of resilience skills and what can I do to make my life better starting today. Yeah. Amazing book. Amazing book. Mm -hmm. All right, Terry, how about you? What is a book that you would recommend to an aspiring leader? I think there's a book. It's a um, Ken Blanchard book called Gung Ho. And it really helps to shed some light on just in a, in a non-threatening way. It's, it's a great, it's a relatively easy read, uh, which yeah. at this point in my life is a major requirement for me. 
<laughs> to be able to not have to reread the same paragraph 14 times to be able to understand what they were saying. But I think it's a great, especially foundational uh, for new leaders, um, great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Ken Blanchard does a great job at that, making, you know, uh, concepts just consumable for anybody. So it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Back to you, Chris. And this is the, the final question and the deep question of the day. All right. At the Llama Lounge, we are all about life, learning, and leadership. So how do you find your harmony between life, learning, and leadership? I find it better today than it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came with deliberate practice. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a perfect answer. All right, Terry, how do you find your harmony between life, learning, and leadership? None of them ever end. Mm. We're continuing to learn. You know, if you're if you're not learning, I, this might be a quote from somebody, or I just may be making it up. But <laughs> if you're not learning, you're dead. Yeah. Um, you know, we we will continue to learn, and also leadership doesn't end. Mm-hmm. Just because you're not standing in front of a um, a unit leading the, you know, an exercise, or you're out there teaching a class. Um, you're still, you're still a leader. People look to you all the time to yeah. to continue to to be that, and you don't have to be um, in some major important role at the moment to be able to still be the leader that you need to be and the people around you need to have. Um, so we're we give that we're given that opportunity all the time. Great answer, man. I, I really appreciated you guys coming on. This was great. You know, I really missed y'all and um, it's awesome. And hopefully that we can have a pint together somewhere sometime soon. Oh, absolutely. But until that time, Joe, we'll take the second best. We'll give you a virtual bro hug, man. All right. So, bro hug. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, bro. So, so, thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very, very much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll have to have you on again sometime. It's going to be, uh, we'll, we'll have a whole different group of topics we'll, we'll discuss and it'll be a fun time again. Sounds good, good, Joe. Thanks all right. for all that you do for other folks, too. You're yeah. a phenomenal leader. Man. I'm yes, grateful. Chief, you are. I'm grateful. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate it. And, you know, to all the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in once again. As always, be safe, stay healthy, and llamas are out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.